this is Isabel Cortez, and thank you for joining me once again on Scary Stories for the Soul. Have you ever been listening to the radio and hit a dead zone? You were listening to Lizzo or the Rolling Stones, and then suddenly, you plunge into white noise. Static blares from your car speakers, and you reach over to turn it off, but before you can, you hear something else. A voice, maybe? No, it can't be. But... You strain your ears a little just in case because you know you heard something. There's silence for a while, and then there it is again. A voice. A whisper? What's it saying? Can you hear me? The voice in the static asks. What do you do? Do you answer it? Or do you ignore it? No. Better to ignore it and shut off the radio. Electronic voice phenomenon, or EVPs, are sounds found on electronic recordings that are interpreted as spirit voices that have been either unintentionally recorded or intentionally requested and recorded. Parapsychologists, people who study alleged psychic phenomena and other paranormal claims like near-death experiences, psychokinesis, and the ability to see the dead, consider EVPs to be a form of paranormal phenomenon often found in recordings with static or other background noise. Parapsychologist Constance Rudive, who popularized the idea in the 1970s, described EVPs as brief, usually the length of a word or short phrase. This is because whatever is trying to break through from the other side doesn't have enough power or energy to get across clearly. All they can manage is a word or two before their connection to the carnal world is severed. It is possible for spirits to leave longer messages, but those are usually harder to interpret and are attributed to more powerful and oftentimes malicious or dangerous spirits. In 2002, EVP enthusiast Frank Sumption constructed a device that could supposedly capture EVPs and other otherworldly noises. He called it the ghost box or Frank's box, and he hoped it would capture real-time communications with the dead. Sumption claims that he got the design for the box from the spirit world. The device is described as a combination of white noise generator and AM radio receiver, modified to sweep back and forth through the AM band, selecting split-second snippets of sound. Critics of the device say that its effect is subjective and incapable of being replicated since it relies on radio noise. Any meaningful response a user gets is purely coincidental or simply the result of pareidolia, the tendency for incorrect perception of a stimulus as a object, pattern, or meaning known to the observer. In layman's terms, your mind could be trying to find meaning in the white noise when there isn't anything there. The human brain instinctually tries to find meaning in chaotic or messy things. That's why we see faces in ceiling spackle or hear our names being called in loud rooms. Your brain is trying to find something familiar in the chaos. Interest in EVPs goes back so far that even the great inventor Thomas Edison was interested in the phenomena. In October of 1920, Edison gave an interview with Scientific American and said, I have been thinking for some time of a machine or apparatus which could be operated by personalities which have passed on to another existence or sphere. His hope was to build a machine which the spirits of the dead could use to leave messages to their loved ones. This was during the time when spiritualism was becoming increasingly popular throughout the United States, 
and so-called mediums were making a fortune communicating with the dead and spewing ectoplasm from various crevices of their body. People were desperate to speak to their loved ones and find proof of life beyond death. Thomas Edison was among the few people in high society who was critical of mediums and their so-called powers. So perhaps his motivation for creating a ghost box was to find a scientific avenue for communicating with the dead. I don't claim that our personalities pass on to another existence, he told Scientific American. I don't claim anything because I don't know anything about the subject. For that matter, no human being knows. But I do claim that it is possible to construct an apparatus which will be so delicate that if there are personalities in another existence who wish to get in contact with us in this existence, the apparatus will at least give them a better opportunity to express themselves than the tilting tables and wraps and Ouija boards that mediums have been using as a means of communication. Thomas Edison had a rather particular view of life and death, a view that some would say differed from that of his colleagues in the scientific community. He said, Our body and our mind represent the vote or voice, whichever you wish to call it, of our entities. The entities live forever. Death is simply the departure of the entities from our body. I do hope that our personality survives. If it does, then my apparatus ought to be of some use. That is why I am now at work on the most sensitive apparatus I have ever undertaken to build, and I await the results with the keenest interest. While Edison was vocal in his desire to create a device that could help the living communicate with the dead, it seems as though no such device was ever built. There are no schematics or blueprints that can be found for his supposed undertaking. There are a few theories as to why this is. Some people say that he simply died before he was actually able to start building his ghost box. When he revealed that he was thinking about building this device, he was in the middle of a career boom. He had hundreds of projects in the works. It's possible that this was just a pet project that he never got the chance to build before he passed away. The other, more popular theory is that Thomas Edison built his ghost box, and that it worked far better than he had hoped, or wanted it to. The device supposedly worked so well that Edison was plagued with the voices of the dead day and night, and there was no getting rid of them. Ultimately, he decided to destroy the machine and any evidence that it was built, so that nobody had the opportunity to rebuild it again. It seems as though every paranormal investigator on television revised heavily on electronic voice phenomena as a surefire sign of life after death. They'll set up their tape recorder in a dark room and ask questions like, did you die here? Is there something that you would like to say to us? Are you here to hurt us? What do you want? And no matter what noise comes through when they listen back to the recording, they can hear a voice saying something to them. They can hear someone or something responding to their questions. But how much of that is real and how much of that is their brains trying to pick up voices that aren't actually there. Like I said before, our brains are hardwired to pick up voices, languages, and words in static. We want to make sense of the nonsensical. And what about the viewers? If you put subtitles underneath a supposed recording, telling the public what the recording is saying, our brains will automatically pick up those voice patterns. If you tell us that the white noise is saying, I am dead, then our brains will pick up the sound, I am dead, when we listen to the recording ourselves. Are we being deceived? Purposefully manipulated to believe something for the sake of ratings? 
or are we actually hearing the disembodied voices of the dead? The first law of thermodynamics says that energy can be changed from one form to another, but it cannot be created or destroyed. The total amount of energy and matter in the universe remains constant, merely changing from one form to another. From this, we can deduce that when we die, a part of ourselves keeps living in another way, shape, or form. Maybe what we see as ghosts or spirits is what is left of that person's energy, floating around the atmosphere. Using that logic, it is not probable to assume that spirits are using what energy they have left to contact us using radio frequencies and white noise. I mean, it seems probable. Radio waves are so sensitive that spirits can tap into that and use it as a way to get their messages across. What if, at the end of our lives, we all turn into free-floating matter, waiting to find a way to show our loved ones that we're still here, we still love them, and we will do anything we can to try and contact them? The 2000 film White Noise does actually that. The film follows architect Jonathan Rivers, played by Michael Keaton, who is trying to navigate his way through life after the unexpected death of his wife, Anna. He is contacted by a man named Raymond Price, who has recently lost his son. Price was using EVP devices to try and record potential messages from his own son when he stumbled across a recording that he believed was Anna, trying to get a hold of Jonathan. Jonathan was initially angry that someone would try to use his wife's death as an elaborate paranormal hoax, but after he listens to the recordings and hears Anna's voice, he becomes obsessed with EVPs and tries to contact Anna himself. Eventually, he is contacted by a medium named Maribel, who warns Jonathan that meddling with EVPs could open the door for other, more hostile entities to contact him. Not all voices that come through are the voices of those who have messages for their loved ones. Some are spirits that want to cause harm and pain. Jonathan ignores her warnings and continues on his search for his wife, unaware of the fact that his obsession with EVPs has attracted the attention of three demons who have been using EVPs to possess people into murdering and kidnapping women. The movie is a work of fiction, but it does bring to light one very important fact. Not everyone that contacts you is someone you want to hear from. Much like the Ouija board, EVP devices are used to contact the dead, but that doesn't guarantee that the person who picks up the other line is the person that you wanted to talk to. You are essentially opening up a line of communication without knowing who's going to answer. Are you prepared to take that risk? Are you ready to shout into the void and be okay with whatever thing decides to shout back? The story you're about to hear is of a woman who was so desperate for proof of life beyond the veil that she was willing to speak to anyone or anything that came through from the other side. Little did she know that one of those things she was talking to was looking to do more than just talk. Layla Henry tried to stay as quiet as possible. She knew how sensitive the tape recorder was, and she didn't want to accidentally record anything that was going to confuse her later. Everyone thought that EVPs were so easy to catch. You set up a tape recorder in a haunted house or asylum or hotel, and you ask the empty space around you some questions. Sometimes you catch something, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get full sentences, and sometimes you get cats screeching in the background. But Leela knew better than that. 
you can't just walk into a haunted location and hope the spirits are willing to talk to you. Would you talk to a stranger that barged into your house? You might yell at them to go away, but mostly you would just hide. Layla had arrived at the Kenfield Sanatorium for the criminally insane at 2 a.m. She slipped the groundskeeper $200 and told him not to lock any doors or important exits. She was desperate for some answers, but she wasn't an idiot. If there was a need for a quick departure, she wanted all the doors open and ready. Kenfield wasn't like other haunted asylums. Yes, there were haunted rooms and multiple spirits and the ever-popular crazed doctor running mad and loose down the hallways. But what this place had that others didn't was a heart. There was one room in particular that was labeled the epicenter for all the horror and mayhem that went on in those peeling gray walls. Every psychic and medium and Wiccan that had walked through that place hoping to exorcise the demons from it had zeroed in on that room and most of them had come out screaming and panicking out of its crooked gates. Records showed that the room had been used for therapy sessions, but Layla knew whatever therapy meant in a Depression-era sanatorium meant to house mentally unstable criminals couldn't be good. There was nothing in the room now but an old filing cabinet, some patient files, a rickety aluminum desk, a broken chair, and, disturbingly enough, some crayons that didn't look that old. Layla took off her backpack and arranged her equipment on the desk. Where most paranormal researchers carried enough audiovisual gear to give themselves permanent back problems, Layla only carried what she knew would get her the best results. Three red pillar candles carved with runes meant to enhance spiritual activity, a handcrafted Ouija board with a bit of her blood mixed into the varnish, a tape recorder, and a vial of holy water just in case things went sour. She wasn't Catholic or Christian or even monotheistic for that matter, but she figured if people had been using it for hundreds of years to ward off evil spirits, then there must be something to the stuff. Layla set up her supplies on the desk. The sound of her phone ringing in her purse made her jump, and she dropped the lit match she had had in her hand. Shit, she swore, tapping out the flame with the toe of her boot. Hello, she said, irritated as she put her phone on speaker. Her assistant's nervous voice filled the empty space around her, echoing through the walls. Did you make it safe? <sighs> yes, Denise, Layla replied, rolling her eyes. Okay, good. I know you're not going to listen to me, but I don't think this is a good idea. You should come back to the office and we can do another seance here. You know I can't do that, Denise. It doesn't work the same. I know, Denise whined, but I have a really bad feeling about this. Every single psychic that has tried to tap into the Vortex's power has ended up in a bad way. Layla thought back to her research. Denise wasn't being dramatic. There had been multiple psychics who thought that they could harness the power of the heart to enhance their own powers, and they all ended up retired or going into isolation or losing their minds. But Layla didn't want to enhance her anything. She was there for a very specific reason. Layla, Denise said, her voice tinged with worry. I know you want to talk to her. I know how important this is to you, but this is a bad idea. I'm worried that something is going to happen to you. Layla closed her eyes and let out a long breath. She knew Denise was right, but she had to try. She knew that if she didn't give it a shot, she would regret it for the rest of her life. Look, I promise I'll give it one chance. If nothing comes from it, if my EVP sessions are a bust, I will pack up my things and come back to the office. Just give me 
one shot. Let me try this once, and then I promise I'll drop it. Denise was quiet on the other end, but Layla could practically hear the gears in her head turning. Okay, she finally said. I'm giving you an hour, and then I'm calling you back and yelling at you until you drive home. Deal, Layla replied and said her goodbyes. Layla thought back to what Denise had said. She knew how important this was to her. She knew what it would mean to her if her EVP sessions came up with something substantial. So she knew that she couldn't just drop it without trying. Layla's mother had died two years ago from an unknown cause. One minute she was alive and the next, she just wasn't. She had been doing some cleaning inside her home. The gardener said that he could see her inside the living room because she had all her windows open. He said that she had been cleaning when all of a sudden she stopped, opened her mouth wide as if to scream, and then collapsed on the ground. He ran inside and called 911, but she had already stopped breathing. By the time the paramedics got there, she was gone. It had all happened so fast that Layla had a hard time processing the situation. She couldn't sleep at night and couldn't focus in the day. She felt like she was owed an explanation, but every doctor and coroner that she spoke to said that, by medical standards, there had been nothing wrong with her mother. Her death was ruled the result of an aneurysm and all investigation stopped. The night of the funeral, she decided to turn on her mother's favorite radio station and look through the dozens of photo albums she had kept around the house. Walk on by by Isaac Hayes had been playing when suddenly the station turned to static. Hayes's voice came in and out between the white noise, and then Layla heard it, a woman's voice coming from the static. She sat perfectly still, straining her ears to see if she had actually heard what she thought she had heard, and then it happened again. Her blood ran cold because she recognized the voice. It was her mother's. Sunshine? It called to her. No, she had said to herself. Her mother had always called her Sunshine because she had played the sun in her second grade play. Sunshine? It called to her again. Mama? Layla replied, crawling over to the radio. I love you, Sunshine, her mother's distorted voice said, and then it was gone and Isaac Hayes kept singing. After that night, Layla became obsessed with EVPs and tried to contact her mother again. She devoted herself to researching electronic voice phenomena. She quit her job and spent her time performing seances, speaking to psychics, and trying to tap into any spiritual energy she could that would help her pierce the veil and contact the dead. She must have performed over a hundred seances, and just when she had started to give up hope, she got a message from within the white noise. Kenfield, a woman's voice said to her during one of her sessions. Leela couldn't be sure, but she thought it had been her mother's voice. And then it happened again, weeks after that. Kenfield, the woman's voice said to her. It happened three more times after that, and once during a Ouija board session with a renowned psychic. The woman had warned her against following the voice that was calling to her. She said that the message was coming from a spirit that was purposefully covering itself from her view, and that she didn't trust it. But Layla thought it was her mother's voice speaking to her, and if her mother wanted her to go to Kenfield, then she was going to Kenfield. Layla looked around the small room and shook off the feeling of paranoia and claustrophobia that was sleeping into her bones. When she had researched the sanatorium and found out about its heart, she knew that her mother had sent her there because it was the only place that would give her the kind of spiritual energy she needed to get a clear EVP recording. 
she would finally be able to talk to her mother. Layla lit candles, set up her Ouija board, and turned on her tape recorder. She shook out her body, took a deep breath, and turned on the small radio she had brought along with her. She turned the dial to a dead station and let the static wash over her. I'm calling on the spirits that reside here in Kenfield. I am trying to contact Cheryl Henry, and I am asking you for help. Please, reach into the realm in which you reside and help me. Cheryl Henry, are you here? The static on the radio dipped a little, and Layla registered the noise. Cheryl Henry, are you here? She repeated. The static shifted and moved. Mama? Layla asked. Sunshine? A voice said to her. Mama? Layla replied. Sunshine. Only sunshine. A voice sang through the static. Mama, Layla said with tears in her eyes. I need to know that this is you. Talk to me. Tell me something only you would know. Sunday, the voice in the white noise said. Sugar donut. Layla smiled as she remembered their Sunday morning routine. Walking down to the donut shop down the street and eating sugar donuts at a booth that overlooked the park. I miss you so much. There's so much that I have to say to you. I wish I could see you and hold you one more time, she said to the radio. Can hold, the static said. What? Layla asked. Can hold, the voice replied. Can see. Join me. Layla tensed. Join her? Join her where? Was she here in Kenfield somewhere? Was the sanatorium giving off enough energy that her spirit could materialize somewhere within its walls? Layla had never heard of such a thing. The Ouija board began to vibrate and the planchette grew warm under her fingers. It moved slowly around the board before settling on a few letters. N-O-T-M-E, it spelled out. Not me, Layla repeated back. What was happening? Mama, Layla said, I think there's someone else here with us. No, the static said. No worry. No one else. Just me. Ignore others. N-O-T-M-E, the Ouija board spelled out again. It frantically slid across the board and spelled out two more words. L-I-A-R. Liar. And R-U-N. Run. Run, she asked out loud. Don't leave, the voice in the static said. But this time it was clear and almost a shout. What's happening? Who is this on the board? She asked. Don't worry, sunshine, the voice said. They can't reach us now. Layla could hear the voice dip high and low, but it was clear no longer fragmented or strained. L-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-N-O-T-M-E, the Ouija board frantically spelled out. Lily Bean, not me, it said to her. Layla quickly stood up, knocking over the rickety chair that she had been sitting on. Lily Bean, 
her mother called her that. That was something terribly, terribly wrong happening. Mama, who is this? She asked the static. Who is this talking to me on the board? Answer me. No voice came from the static. Answer me, she asked again more forcefully. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine, the voice sang from the static. You make me happy when skies are gray. The voice suddenly sounded wrong. The tone was off. It didn't sound like the voice she had been speaking to. Layla, a woman's voice from the static said. Layla, run! Layla knew this voice. The voice she was hearing now. It was the voice of her mother. She knew it in her heart. She didn't know how she didn't notice it before. But this, this was her mother. Layla, it's not me! Her mother shouted, You need to leave! Go! Run! Layla turned and ran for the door, but it slammed shut in front of her. Radio static blared loudly around her, filling up the space in the room. Layla, a distorted voice sang to her through the static. Layla, welcome. What's happening? she asked. I have been watching you for a while now, the voice said. It faded in and out and dipped so low that Layla felt its baritone vibrate the walls. You're not my mother. She felt cheated and stupid. She had wanted to speak to her mother so badly that she had accepted anything that came her way. She never even stopped to question the voices that came through. She had recognized the pitch of her mother's voice the moment she had told her to run. How could she ever mistaken that beautiful sound for anything else? Of course it couldn't be replicated. It was the best sound in the world. How long had she been following this imposter? How long had this voice been leading her on? I am not your mother, the voice said. Layla felt panic rip through her body. Who are you? she asked. She didn't know if she wanted to know the answer to her question. Static radiated through the room and grew louder and louder. She covered her ears with the palms of her hands and dropped down to her knees. Her eyes filled with tears and she yelled out, Please stop! And then the white noise stopped. The room fell silent. I have been watching you for a while now, a voice said from the radio. It was crystal clear. No distortion, no static. I sensed you the moment you opened the door into our world. I sensed your desperation. I sensed your need, your hunger. You're brave. Brave enough to plunge your hands into the unknown. I have been looking for someone like you. Someone strong enough to sustain something like me. That is why I have been following you, guiding you to this location. This is the only place strong enough to mold us together. Layla's eyes grew wide. She stood up and ran for the door, but when she got a hold of the doorknob, a ripple of electricity shot through her arm. She screamed and looked down at her burned hand. What do I do? She thought to herself. Her mother had been trying to warn her through the Ouija board that the voice she had been speaking to was an imposter. Maybe she could use the Ouija board to contact her again and ask for help. She doubted that whatever was speaking to her now would allow her mother to speak to her through the radio. She went over to the Ouija board and placed her hands on the planchette, wincing as her injured hand touched the cold wood. Mama, she said, moving the planchette around the board, what do I do? 
the voice on the radio laughed. Yes, Mama. What should she do? The planchette began to move, circling around the letters of the alphabet but never actually stopping. Finally, the planchette zoomed to the letters S-M-A-S-H-R-A-D-I-O. Smash radio. Could it be that simple? What other options did she have? Layla ran over and smashed the radio on the concrete floor. She stomped on it and ignored the pain as wires and metal shards cut through the fabric of her boots. Once the radio was nothing but shrapnel, she looked around the room. She stupidly let a sliver of hope cut through her fear and that sliver was extinguished the moment she heard static coming from her tape recorder. Laughter came through the recorder's speaker. She had forgotten that it was there. The second she reached over and grabbed the recorder, she felt electricity pulse up her arm and into her chest. It pierced her heart and she felt herself start to slip. Her mind was going. She was fading. And her body felt like it was being consumed by something else. Black spots began to appear in her vision and she knew that she was about to lose consciousness. Using all the force she had left in her body, she walked over and smashed the device against one of the concrete walls. Instantly, the buzzing in her body stopped and her vision came back into focus. Forgetting the rest of her equipment, Layla grabbed the rickety metal chair and bashed the doorknob off the door. She pushed the door open and ran out into the hallway. All around her, old and defunct medical equipment, radios, and monitors buzzed and came to life. White noise filled every room and hallway of Kenfield. Layla could hear the voice calling to her. Don't run, sunshine, it said. I am already inside of you. We are already connected. Layla covered her ears and found her way to the front entrance where she burst through the doors and jumped into her car. She dug into her jeans pocket for her car keys, but once she put them into the ignition, the car started up and the radio buzzed with static. The voice came through again. For a few seconds, all she heard was laughter, mixed with static, but then the radio fell silent and the voice said, Run, run, as far as you want, but we are already together. Layla ran out of her car with the ignition still running. The voice boomed loudly from her car speakers, chanting to her, Run, run, run. She ran, and ran, and ran, cutting through abandoned roads and fields. She felt like her lungs were on fire, but she couldn't stop. Finally, her body gave out and she passed out on the side of a highway in the middle of the night. Layla Henry didn't immediately notice the changes that were happening to her. When she was found on the side of the road by a long-haul trucker, the woman immediately brought her to a hospital, where Layla remained unconscious for three days. As she gained consciousness, she could hear a voice in the back of her mind a voice she didn't recognize as her own. It's the trauma, she told herself, but the voice in her head laughed in response and then went away. Then she started to lose chunks of time. There were whole moments of the day when she couldn't remember what had happened, or she would black out and then come back to herself and realize she was somewhere she hadn't been before. She would get ready to go to the library and then she would black out and wake up standing in the middle of a park. It's the trauma, she would repeat to herself, but there was that same voice in her head that would laugh because it knew that she was wrong. 
The time finally came to admit that something was terribly wrong when she blacked out but remained strangely aware of what she was doing. It was as if she was watching herself from inside her own mind. She watched her body, walked to the bathroom mirror, and stared deeply into her own eyes. An awful smile spread through her face. She walked out of the bathroom, turned on every radio and TV in her house to a dead station, and sat on her living room couch, surrounded by white noise. She wanted to move, to get up and walk out, to scream or shout because she knew that this was terribly and horribly wrong, but she couldn't. She had no control. Finally, she found the willpower to punch through whatever space she was in and take control over her own body. She jumped up from the couch and broke all the televisions and radios she had turned on and cried on the floor. We are already together, the voice in the back of her head said to her, and she sobbed and punched the floor because she knew, deep down she knew, that it was right. What do you hear in the white noise? The voice of a lost loved one? The voice of an unknown enemy? Or is it just static to you? Ask yourself, how far would you go to communicate with the dead? And would you be able to trust that the thing you were speaking to, the voice that was coming through, was the person you actually intended to speak to? Think about it and get back to me. Until next time.